Good morning everyone, it's good to see you. We're uh, doing a Vision Sunday this morning and we'll do uh, another part of that next week. And the idea of today is to do a Vision Sunday from about 25,000 feet, as it were, in an aeroplane. So we're not going to give you a whole list of we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, but just to show the landscape of a vision, okay, what God's called us to as a local church. And if you've ever been in an aeroplane, you know, you look out the window, and sometimes the pilot will say, here's a spectacular moment to look out of the plane and get a view of the, I don't know, icebergs or something else. But, so we're going to do that this morning, just get a really high view of what is it that God has called us to be as a local church. We're going to do that by picking some um, parts out of the book of Nehemiah. So it's in the Old Testament. If you want to look at that book, uh, book of Nehemiah chapter 1. It's an amazing, amazing uh, account of a group of people's faith to see something of significance rebuilt and established. Book of Nehemiah. I'm going to pray for us and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, captivate us by your purpose, by your desire, by your perspective from heaven's perspective of how heaven sees SC18, how heaven sees the places where we live. God, we pray, cause faith to be ignited, God. Pray for great, fresh expectation and faith this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah, it's a really good thing to be in the local church and there are babies. Yeah? Because it yeah. means that Jesus is saving generations. Yeah. yeah? Nothing worse than being in a sterile, quiet environment. <laughs> because Jesus is relevant to all Amen. generations. Amen. So it's good to have you, little ones. And we'd like to hear your squeaks. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, the book of Nehemiah, then. So for those, just to give a very quick overview historically, around 140 years earlier to the book of Nehemiah, the, uh, the people of Israel were taken into captivity in, in Babylon. And Jerusalem, the city was pretty much wrecked and all the walls were burnt and the stones ripped down and the gates were burnt and the temple was ripped down. And the, the book before, the book of Ezra, Ezra's, there's been a generation of people who had rebuilt the temple, but the walls of the city were not rebuilt and the gates of the city were not built. And so in those days, in ancient times, if the city was in ruins and, the, and was in rubble and the gates were down, it meant anybody could invade that city, plunder that city, and it was a disgrace to be a city who had no gates and had no walls. And so we hear in the beginning that Nehemiah hears about the city of Jerusalem. And it, it said, it said, they said to me, those in verse 3 of chapter 1, those who survived the exile are back in the province, that's back in Jerusalem, are in great trouble and disgrace. <coughs> the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's often a cultural way. This is how people would respond. I've heard news that has moved me. I'm distraught by the distress of the city and by the disgrace that's come upon the people. And so Nehemiah is moved in his heart, and that thing that moves in his heart is the restoration of a physical city, the restoration of the walls, the restoration of the gates, the restoration of the people, the restoration of the dignity and value and worth of God's people, of the disgrace being removed and the dignity being restored to the city. And 
often that's how God speaks a vision into our hearts. It begins with what moves us. It begins with what moves us. We have in moments where we see things in society or we see things in the world around us and God moves us by, by uh, someone's moving our emotions. We're moved by maybe by the plight of a city, maybe injustice or maybe the housing issue or the health issue or the food issue or, or the culture of the city. Something is birthed in us by what moves us. Sometimes we can find our calling and our vision by just looking for the problems in the city and seeing which problems move us. And I remember for, for Rochelle and I, we went to a, um, a meeting in central London and someone had said to us, I think, really, God has called you to the city. God has called you to live in the capital, to live in London. And we went to a meeting where they were envisioning and talking about what was happening in the city. Maybe it was about churches that were being planted and activities that were taking place. And uh, we, we sat there in the morning and it was all about church planting. We just said, yeah, that isn't really us. That's not really our calling. And then Toppy, who used to be part of this church, is, then went off to plant or, or take over Colin Potter's church in Enfield who's done a magnificent work in Enfield, run the church, I think, for about 1,300 now from when he took it, it was about 80. But Toppy took this session in the afternoon and he said this, some of you are called to take churches in communities to see that church community transform so they can transform the whole community. And I remember Rochelle and I looked at one another in an instant, we said, we're moving. A burden of, in one sense, we didn't have permission before and someone had said to us, 18 months or nine months before, you need to be in the city, but there was no permission from God to do anything about it. But in that moment, we heard a vision about seeing a local community transformed in order to impact a whole community. And in that moment, we said, Yes, God. And I guess that's the moment for Nehemiah. He hears something the disgrace, the walls are burned, the, 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 the gates are burned, and he's moved in his heart that something has to happen there. And that's often where a vision from God just birthed in a moment. I remember it was just three months ago, I was in a meeting and suddenly, you know, it wasn't an audible voice, but it had to be God's voice in my heart said, if you want it, you can have it. And I was really struck by the phrasing of it, if you want it, you can have it. It wasn't, it's yours, but if you want it, Jamie, you can have it. In other words, if you want to see SE18 through a better um, lenses, through the lenses of faith and expectation, you can have it. You can have it. If you want to see it through a better pair of eyes, through the eyes of faith, you can have it. I love how God does that. He's a, he draws us in onto something and engages our free will. If you want it, you can have it, you know. You don't have to have it, but if you want it. And Nehemiah, he hears this report of what it looks like, and he asks God, send me, or the king, he says to the king, because he's a cupbearer to the king, he works for the royal royalty, and he goes into the presence of the king, and he, the king asks him, what do you want? And he says, send me back to my na nation so that I can rebuild it. So that I can rebuild it. It grips him. He knows what he wants to ask for. So this vision gives him courage. It gives him perspective. It gives him a sense of where he's going. It's like you go to the gym with a vision. Yeah, You're more likely to go to the gym regularly if you've got a vision. If you've got a vision to get fit. 
It's the vision that gets you up and onto the X trainer again. I want to get fit. So for Nehemiah, this vision to see a restored city, to see the the disgrace removed, brings him into courage. It brings him into the ability to resist the enemy. It brings him into a place where he's willing to go on a 900-mile journey from the king's palace back to Jerusalem. And in those days, 900 miles would take you four months to get there. It's a powerful vision that moves his heart, that gives him courage, that gives him strength, that gives him fortitude, that enables him to look at the discouraging things and enables him to push for all discouragement and setback and enables him to push back the reality of what he sees in order to go after what God has said to him. Because as Nehemiah goes back, there's going to be plenty of evidence to discourage him, to dissuade him, to put him off. It says in one place, when he arrives in Jerusalem after that long journey, he can't even get his horse around the wall because there's so much rubble and there's so much broken stones. He can't even get his horse to go around the city because it's so distraught and broken. But he knows that God has put on his heart something to do for Jerusalem, something to do for the people of God. So we can, we can say, when we look at SEA team, look at Plumstead, we can say, actually, we're all being aware of the broken spots of our society around us. We're aware of the statistics. We're aware of the health issues. We're aware of statistics like a man will live, on average, 10 years less than a man who lives in Bexley Heath. Yeah, we, we're aware of the issues around mental health in this area. We're, we're aware of the issues around gangs, around the tension between people groups and the hostility that just sits under the surface. We know about the rubble. <laughs> we know about the broken things. We know about the inequality, the injustice of housing situations. That some people are exploited by landlords who will, who will sell a room which is really only a kitchen and... And, 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 and cause the person to be trapped in a situation that's not right. We know about the distress, we know about the brokenness, we know about the chaos. And that's the, that's the vision from 25,000 feet. It's a kingdom vision, it's a transformatory vision. It's a, the rule of Jesus vision. Wherever Jesus went, the rule of heaven came. It's a big vision that he has called us to and placed us here to see happen. And Nehemiah is not put off. He's not put off by 900 mile journey. He's not put off by four months. He's not put off by finding himself in the context of all the decay and disintegration and all the rubble. So Jesus, in his love, sends us out to love our communities, to love our families, to love our workplaces, to love the people who serve us in different environments, in coffee shops. To have on our heart what's on their heart. So it's important that we're talking about these things because it's important that someone once said, I think Chris Allerton from Bethel said, when you find your family, you find your purpose. When you find your family, you find your purpose. And it's important that we know where the family's going. Because we're more, than, we're more than a Sunday celebration. 
We're, we're so much more than a, a group of people who get together <coughs> to sing for 45 minutes and then hear somebody talk for 25 minutes. We're more than that. And, and so important that, that we all know that this family is here for the transformation of a whole region. That we're, our vision is much, much bigger than gathering a crowd on a Sunday. We're much, much, we're on a bigger vision than that. God has called us to an outflowing vision. Prophetic words like percolating out with the presence of God, carrying buckets of the presence of God out to this community. We're, we're, we're on a much bigger journey than just building a good Sunday meeting. And it's important that you know that, that, that you know that's where we're going. And yeah, we will provide discipleship. We will provide things like Paul's doing on Thursday night foundation so that you can dig deep into the doctrines of salvation. We want you to be in community groups and have family and connection. We want that. We want you to feel that this is more than just a gathering of strangers that you have small talk with. That you are in context that are more like a dinner party where you can get to know one another and feel, yeah, that was meaningful. I could share who I was. They know who I am. We want those things. There are many other initiatives that we want to see. But predominantly, everything ultimately is this. We are on earth for the transformation of a geography, for the transformation of the environment, for the transformation of our part of the city. That's what we're on earth for. That's what burns prophetically in the heart of us as a family. And it's important that we say that. Nehemiah was moved by the trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. We're moved by the heart of God and the love of Jesus for this community. That's so much more than just getting people into a meeting. That's part of it. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints. Something happens when the church gathers, no doubt about it. There's something powerful in the context of corporate worship and hearing together. But ultimately, all of that is so that we go with the rule of Jesus, the kingdom of God, and see established wherever we go. So take his love wherever you go. Take his love to the rubble, to the broken spots. And part of that means is it's a family that wants to be full of believing believers that actually believe. A huge part of what we are is so much more than a program. It's an equipped bunch of men and women who know who they are in Christ, that the teacher knows. When I go to teach the little ones, the nursery ones, I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven. I might be the only encouraging voice, the only voice that's going to bring any boundaries and discipline in the whole of their world. I might be the only stabilising voice in the whole of their place. Everything else might be broken in chaos. It's the teacher who speaks encouraging words, brings boundaries, brings security, brings education. It can be every facet of life that as we go, we go with a mandate. I am a representative. I am an ambassador of the risen Christ. And where I go, the kingdom of heaven goes. Where I go, the heavens are open above me. And I am part of God's restorative influence in every place I go. It can be, as Janine does the whole African festival in the summer, of, 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 of raising up and pulling down glass ceilings and, and, and bringing a celebration of culture. These things are all part of it. That's why it's, the vision is from 25,000 feet. It's not just what do we 
put on as leaders, as a program, is who are we as a people? Who are we becoming? So in that sense, we all are becoming Nehemiahs. In, in, it's the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's the body that supplies to one another, then supplies to the world. And so, if we're to go into the rubble and the broken spots of society, we have to have a sustaining word from God. We have to have that sense that God has spoken into my heart, I know who I am. I know who I am, I know what I carry, I know what I bring. I've got a sustaining word from God, so that we're not complaining and overwhelmed by the distress that we see, and the brokenness that we see, and the chaos that we see. But actually, we've got a word from God. Nehemiah says, I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem, he says in one chapter 1 and verse 12. He equates that moment where he was emotionally moved by God, by the state of the city and the people, with a commissioning word from God. And so that sustains him through the whole thing. God has called me to this. God has spoken this over me. God has put something on my heart to do for the people and for the city. We need to be open for those words from God, those things he puts on our hearts, those things he says to us. We are his sheep, we know his voice. You read the Bible, you can get a commissioning word from God out of the scriptures. You can get God speak to your heart about a burden, a thing, and saying, this is what you were designed for. This is the thing that's in your lane. This is the purpose I called you before the foundation of the world too. You can get that from God directly. You don't have to wait for the prophet to come to town, as it were. I love prophetic words. I love when people call you out. But often they are just confirmations of what you've got in the secret place from God, of what God spoke to your heart directly from his heart to your heart. And so we need that, that sense of, I heard from God, this wasn't just a bright idea, this wasn't just a bit of cheese I ate the night before that made me slightly more optimistic than I ought to have been. That as a family, we moved because of a moment when God spoke. We moved because of, there was a moment when he said something about a transformed people that can transform a community. Everything needs to line up with, he spoke, I'm believing him, I've got expectation for this. And so it's interesting that our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. It, our assignment will bring us into the midst of the broken walls, it will bring us into the burnt Stones. It will bring us into the rubble. It will bring us into the places where we can't even get our horse, as it were, around the wall because it's so broken. It will bring us into those things. That's our assignment. And people would say, but how much of heaven can you have on earth now? How much can you expect now? Where's the line? I don't know where the line is. Is it too much to expect the health of our area to go up? Is it too much to expect statistics to be reversed? That men in Plumstead are living longer than 
you know, like you want to don't, don't want to declare negative things over another place, but you want to declare equality, don't you? <laughs> We're competitive with Bexley or whatever. But is it too much to believe? <laughs> is it too much to believe that that can be eradicated in a generation? Yes. That people can look at the statistics and say, wow, they're living the same length of time. Is it too much to expect that the economics of this area could grow and increase and that there could be jobs and, and better jobs for people and industry and people are doing well in their trade? Is it too much to expect that the, the tension between people groups can actually be eradicated so as you dig, dig down, that actually people are increasingly loving one another, honouring one another, respecting one another? That health... People say, this must be the healthiest place in London because they're not drawing on the NHS like other areas. But people get healed, even in our area, just by stepping into it. That's what we're after. Can you see this is bigger than, this is bigger than a Sunday meeting. This is bigger than new programmes. This is... Bigger than anything that any man or woman can do. This is the sort of stuff that only Jesus Christ can do. The King of Glory. This is the things that only he can restore. And as we're going to see next week, he does rebuild the walls. And he does it through the simplicity of diligence. So it can start with the walls of our own home. Believing that you are a peace carrier into your environment. Believing when you come into your family this afternoon, I carry the kingdom with me. But that's who I am. It starts on the tiny thing of your own heart. I'm going to be full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to grow as I walk with him to bear the fruit of the Spirit. That love, joy, peace, loving, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. I can't remember all of them. Those nine fruit. I'm going to grow in love. I'm growing in joy. And it's interesting to note then in verse 10 of chapter 1, when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, heard about what? The rebuilding of Jerusalem. They were very disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They were disturbed because they had a kind of political grip on the region. They had an idea that they were in control of the region. That they were the government of the region. To a certain extent that they could exploit the region. And when they hear that someone else is coming with a restorative goal... They become disturbed. Later on it says in chapter 2, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked? Are you rebelling against the king? Later on in chapter 4, they become angry and incensed and ridiculed them. They said, can you bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite in chapter 4 and verse 3, adds his little bit in and says, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break the wall of stones. 
Later on, they accuse them, they distract them, they invite them again on four occasions to come to the Valley of Ono to have a meeting. (laughs) The enemy says, come to the Valley of Ono. There's a hint there, there's a clue there. I'm not going to Ono. Four times he says, come to the Valley of Ono. And Nehemiah says, no, I'm about a great work. I will not be distracted. He then accuses him of, of, of many things. He accuses him of of rebellion. He accuses him of sin. All to stop the work going and being taken. See, the enemy was disturbed and threatened. And we don't talk about the enemy here, really. We talk about the kingdom, we talk about the king, and we talk about who he is. We're not that into big meetings of binding something, because I think something was already bound 2,000 years ago and made a public spectacle of by Jesus Christ on the cross. So, we're not going to. We're not going to need. We don't need to do that. But as we progress with vision, he's going to be disturbed because the tension between people groups and poverty and injustice and sickness and sin and brokenness and gang violence. That, who's who's who, whose signature is that? That's the enemy. And so as a people start saying, "This is our territory." Jesus has given us the keys of the kingdom and we're going to go and, and, and take that king and the kingdom wherever we go. It will provoke and it will stir up. Vision, favour, provision does provoke the enemy. Send me to rebuild SCA team. Send me to rebuild my family. Send me to rebuild my own heart. Send me to rebuild my office. Send me to rebuild this neighbourhood. Send me to rebuild is a statement and intention of war. It's not a passive statement. Listen, the enemy, I don't think he's that bothered by a bunch of believers who gather in on a Sunday to worship and hear preaching. He's bothered by a bunch of believers who join the dots up and start saying, I'm actually going to believe what he says. But if he gets nervous by that, he doesn't really mind how big you get. How big the church gets, as long as he can keep you all huddled in in fear. What he doesn't want you to ever know is, you're the head, not the tail. That you're more than a conqueror. That his word is true. That you can believe him. That you're more powerful than you realise. That the dead can be raised. That the demonic has to obey your voice because of him who's in you. He doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want the church to realise who the church is. Everything's about keeping us blinded to who we really are. But... When a bunch of people start saying, I've got vision, I've got favour, I've got provision, he's going to be provoked. And I like what Bill Johnson said, he says, I don't go looking for the enemy. But when I, when I see one of those critters, I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to go looking, we're not going to go spiritual mapping, we're not going to go and find the demonic ley lines or whatever else. We're not interested in that. As the kingdom comes, yeah. things will happen and the enemy will be pushed out. So when opposition arises, nothing strange is happening. That's what we've got to get in our hearts. Nothing strange is happening. In fact, something's working. When we're all just flowing along and there's never anything, we have to think, what's actually happening? I want to finish with this. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. So when the father looked at the world and he saw the great trouble and disgrace and he saw the walls of the cities of the world burned down and broken and the gates burned down, Jesus, the greater Nehemiah, caught the father's vision 
when the Father says, I so love the world, I'm going to send you. And Jesus said, yes, send me. And so the eternal Son of God, the Word of God that John says, the eternal one who was unbegotten, uncreated, or begotten Son of God, uncreated, eternal, always was, always is, becomes a baby and becomes, as it were, like Nehemiah and steps into human society and says, I'm going to walk with people and I'm going to be the great restorer and I'm going to heal sicknesses and I'm going to set the captives free and ultimately I'm going to lay my life down at the cross and allow my blood to be poured out to cleanse the conscience of men and women so they can be brought back to the father of their souls. Jesus is the great Nehemiah who came. And apparently the name Nehemiah means comforter in Hebrew. And there's another who has that name, and that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers our participation in the process of trusting, believing, accepting and applying Jesus' victory. So we have the one Nehemiah, as it were, who comes and has the greatest victory in the whole of history that splits time into B.C., and AD, and then the Holy Spirit comes and says, "I'm going to, I'm going to come to you, yeah. and I'm going to apply the finished work of Jesus to you, and I'm going to restore the walls of your city and the walls of your heart. I'm going to take the broken things, and I'm going to take the gates and put them back in, and I'm going to make you able to govern yourself. I'm going to cause you to be such a wonderful city that you're able to say yes to God and no to sin. I'm going to take where the walls were broken down." where the enemy, as it were, came in and out, and I'm going to build those walls again. So you're going to be able to govern yourself and have the Spirit of self, the Holy Spirit's gift of self-control, of restored dignity, of restored worth, of restored significance. And I'm going to cause you to then be able to apply the finished work of Jesus into this community as we accept, as we believe, as we trust. Process, someone said, is our gift to God. Because in process we're saying, I trust you, God. In process, in our own lives and our own hearts, in process to our own communities and to our own families and to our own neighbourhoods, is where we declare, God, this is my gift to you, because I'm going to trust you in the process. I'm going to trust you, Father, in the process. And so sometimes maybe the enemy might say of us, if a fox jumped on your treasure hunting, the wall would fall down. And we can say, we saw a man healed in a shop. We saw a woman get a house who didn't have a house. We saw 40-something people in the last 18 months hear something about Jesus. Mm. It may look like small potatoes to you, but to us it's the beginning of a process. Mm. Watch out. It starts small. It looks insignificant. It still looks like rubble. Can these stones live, Mm. the enemy says in Nehemiah? Can you breathe life on these stones? Can you bring them back to life, these heaps of rubble? And we say, we want to be a people who say, yes, we can, God, in your name. And so in this first one, I really want to just to put that out to us so that we know who we are and know what we're called to as a people. 120 gathered on that day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came. And Peter, the terrified one, spoke an amazing first ever preach in the book of Acts that saw that 3,000 saved and added in a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, 
shared his life and healed the sick and preached with absolute clarity about the Father. Before he went to glory, it says he spoke to 500 and some doubted. This is what a meeting. This is Jesus resurrected. <laughs> and 120 then turned up to the upper room. Peter preaches and 5,000. See, Jesus was so secure in the Father, he just said, I'm, this is my work, is to do what you want, Father. This is my work, is to be obedient to your voice, to say what you say, to do what you do. I'll leave the outcomes to you. And so he's not destroyed when, on one occasion, he spoke to 15,000 people and he spoke about, you need to drink my blood, you need to eat my flesh. And all of them but the 12 walked away offended. Are you going to? Peter says, no, you've got the words of eternal life. Jesus doesn't go running after them and saying, that was just a metaphor, folks. Please don't go. No, he lets them go. He's unperturbed and undisturbed because he knows that the kingdom is coming. His cross is going to be decisive. He's going to see 120 men and women who are radically impacted with the gospel. The Holy Spirit's coming. The counter, the comforter is coming. The great Nehemiah is coming. He'll remind them. He'll teach them. He'll fortify them. He'll strengthen them. It's all going to be good. And so he entrusts it to the Father. He entrusts it to the 120. Spirit of God comes. 3,000 are saved and added. That generation filled the known world with the good news about who Jesus is, what Jesus had done, and who they can be in his name and life was released because a few people got filled with the Holy Spirit and began to believe what Jesus had said and began to do what Jesus had called them to do I'm just going to propose to you that's who God has called us to be that's who I'm in I'm in and in one sense our role for Tim and I is, is not to persuade you or conjole you, or put your arm behind your back, but to inspire you to come to Jesus yourself. Our role is to create an environment, a soil, where you can do more than you ever believed that you could do. Where there are opportunities that you never believed were possible. To create a context, a church, where the more than you can ask for, and the more than you imagine becomes the normal. That's our role, that's our responsibility. It's not to put arms bound behind backs and say, come treasure hunting, be this, be that. But it's to invite each of us into a context where we are learning to say, yes, God, more and more. We're learning to believe. We're learning to trust. We're learning to know what God has placed on our heart, as it were, for Jerusalem. Like Nehemiah says, I've come to restore the walls. And that's the journey we're on. I invite us to stand.